our family uh, to be united with Christ in baptism, and I had the joy and the privilege of baptizing the older two, and I said to my wife, Andrea, who probably did much more training than I did, and uh, if she wanted to be the one to baptize Maxwell, and she said no, and I thought it was just because, you know, I love him more, but that wasn't it. She just said, I don't think I could do it, and that's what she was talking about. I don't think I could do it. Well, the good news is, is that even as moms and dads, we're not the ones doing it. Jesus is the one doing it. Baptism is being clothed with him, being united with him. And the him part is always the most important part. And here as we have an opportunity to hit part three of this four-part series on the last words of Jesus, we've already talked about his last words to the crowds and some of his last words to the disciples. And today, I mean, I know we always want to say, I think these might be the most important of the last words. I don't know where that ever stops. It seems like each one has the appropriate weight necessary, Jesus being God, knowing what to speak and speaking so well, speaking words of warning and words of concern, both to the crowds and even to his own disciples. And then today we're gonna be focusing on Jesus' words from the cross. You would think, wow, if there were ever like really, really, really important words, it would be these, right? It's good for us to remember, though, that as we look at what really brings us peace with God, what really the cross is all about, or we ask that question, what is it that saves us? If we're answering it quickly, we might say, because we've heard people talk this way, well, what saves us is our faith. That's what saves us. After all, we're saved in our, by faith. We even say that, even though the Bible doesn't, term, doesn't describe it exactly like that. We are saved by faith. No, we're not, actually. We're not saved by our faith. We're not people that, that believe in believing and that are hoping upon a star, or we don't believe that if we just believe strongly enough, if, we just, if enough of us believe together, then we can just make it work. No, that we don't believe that. But it is the object of our faith that saves us. It is the object of our belief that saves us. It is the object that created us in the beginning God. And it is the object that set forth the plan and I will make you into a great nation and through your seed I will bless all the peoples. It was the object that we rebelled against and decided to be at war with God when he made us to be at peace with him. It is the object of our faith that sent his son so that we might have everlasting life. And it is the object of our faith that raised him from the dead. And so truly what saved us, what saves us is the work of Jesus Christ. And we enter into that by faith. We don't enter into that by promising to be good and then fulfilling our promise. We don't enter into it because of who we're related to or married to. We don't enter into it because of the best of our intentions on the best of our days. And we enter into it by faith because God himself has demonstrated his love 
by sending Jesus. And he spoke some very powerful and reassuring words on the cross. You may have heard this already, but um, it's not an easy thing to do to speak when you're hanging on a cross. Not only is it incredibly painful, but the way that they crucified them, and there's usually, some people actually, they have, a, they have an example of this on a, in a museum in, in Jerusalem. We kind of have him like on the front of the post, but actually there is, there's literally like a, a, a bottom of a cross with the bone still there and the nails going through the sides. That might have been how Jesus was crucified through his hands, and, and he's, he's, not, he's not resting back. He's hanging forward. He's suspended, and he's having a hard time, forget about talking, he's having a hard time breathing. And it seems like in order to breathe, he needed to push up on those nails so that he would have the, the lung capacity that, he would be able to breathe or even speak. And it's in this moment that Jesus, the Gospels record, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Gospels record seven statements of Jesus from the cross. We're going to focus on the last three that are found only in Luke's Gospel. But I think it'd be good for us to be aware of all seven of them. The first one actually comes from both Matthew and Mark. They record this statement where Jesus Christ says from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which translated means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting a psalm, Psalm 22. And a lot of people wonder why he quotes that psalm. It sounds like a natural cry of help and of desperation and of frustration and maybe even disappointment. God, why have you forsaken me? But, but maybe when we understand a little bit more about Psalm 22, which is a very powerful psalm that was very important in Israel's history. It's the story of God's servant who was faithful to God all the way through and yet went through some incredible turmoil. And when you read the, the entire psalm, what you actually see is almost the depiction of the crucifixion taking place. His clothes being gambled for. Them mocking him and making fun of him. Now, the, the, the ending of the psalm, I, I really think, is probably the most important part because it, it basically appeals to God who will not forget his servant, no matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter what you see on the outside, to have eyes of faith to believe that something else is happening. To watch Jesus, who claimed to be God, be crucified, demands eyes of faith so that we could see something that we wouldn't ordinarily see. Because it looks like he lost it looks like, and it's true, he's going to die. That's not how kingdoms are established or grow or are even maintained. And Psalm 22 gives us an incredible picture of, like, this is what happens to God's servants. They are 
rejected, they are despised. They appear forsaken, but they are not. For God doesn't abandon his servants. And I really think that's what Jesus is doing. Particularly in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, he is asking for people to see something that they don't use their eyes to see. This is what it might look like, but I'm doing far more than you know. John's gospel has three statements like Luke's does, and they're all unique to John. The first one, which is a real popular one for many, remember Jesus is on the cross, his disciples have all abandoned him at that final moment except for one, and that's John, the disciple whom he loved. And who else is there? Mary, his mother. And they appear to be in close proximity as they're watching Jesus crucified. And Jesus says in John 19, woman, behold your son, Mary. John's going to take care of you. And behold your mother, John. I'm asking you to take care of your mom, your new mom, my mom. When we think about this, this is why I think it's a favorite to a lot of people, is they just stop and go, oh, I could only imagine watching. Oh, that would be so hard to watch. Somebody mentioned that to me this week, how difficult it would be to watch her son endure such pain. And I asked her this question. Moms, you can, you can speak if, if, if she's wrong. I said, I, I know that it would be unthinkable for you to be there, but is there anywhere else you'd rather be? Am I not right? There's nowhere else you'd rather be? But here's, here's a problem with that statement. It's a powerful statement. But let me tell you why it's so much more. It's so much more because what's happening with Jesus that's so different than, say, Andrea with Max is Andrea never just got pregnant before we were ever married. And Andrea never had an angel appear to her and say, I'm going to give you, in fact, God in flesh. But that never happened. So it would be hard for Andrea to watch the son that she loved. Mary had to watch, we sang this, she had to watch God, her Savior, die. You, you got to begin to wonder, even though there's no other explanation, did I hear the angel right? Did I, this cannot be the way. Except I can't help but also believe that so many of the statements, particularly found in Luke's gospel, kind of weave their way into this. Mary's actually told that this child will bring the rising and the falling of nations, and he tells Mary, and a, and a sword will pierce your heart too. I don't think she knew that it was coming, but she knew something was coming. Jesus operates like that. It's painful. It's difficult. John then records this very powerful statement. In verse 28 of John 19, he says, Jesus from the cross, I thirst. Here's why. Because he was thirsty. I don't know if there's like a theological answer to that. It's probably very physical. In the heat, 
trying to breathe. I thirst. John's the only one that recorded it, though. And I'm not surprised it was John that recorded it because John's the one that also recorded when Jesus is speaking to a woman and I am true water. And anyone who finds me will never thirst again. I can give you water, you will never thirst again. That's only found in John's gospel and it's only found in John's gospel, I thirst Think about the value and the importance of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. So much is actually happening. So much is actually taking place that you need to almost slow down and pay attention. And the final words as recorded in John's gospel is the statement, it is finished. I know that you and I will most likely, no matter how old we live, we'll probably die with the inbox rather full. So much left to do. I've had opportunity to spend time with people that are later on in years, later on in life, and they don't say, you know, I'm pretty much been done. I can't think of anything I should have done, or I can't think of re, you know, I think this is pretty much it. I got it right. No, you know what they say? Oh, you know what I wish? You know what I wish I would have done? I wish I had more time. Really? You're 97. Yeah, I know, but it went by like that. And roughly at the age of 33, Jesus, maybe his last words, we don't know if it's this or the final statement that he's going to make in Luke's gospel, but it's finished. Like I accomplished everything God sent me out to do. John 3.16, God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And Jesus spends roughly three-ish years preaching and teaching and healing and loving and caring, um, rebuking and being rebuked, being misunderstood even by his own family. And Jesus Christ, when he's done all of that, he says, it is finished. And I think he's making a rather bold statement and, and I don't think he's just saying that this was all that there was. I'm, I'm, I'm done dying now. I'm ready to die, die. I, I think he's talking about that I emptied myself and I gave everything to accomplish God's plan and God's purpose. And now I'm finished. There's nothing left. Think about how this then hits us as we get ready to, to participate with Easter Jesus hasn't left anything undone. There's nothing that's still out there that needs to be done for you in terms of your salvation and your ongoing salvation. Jesus accomplished it all. It is finished. And then we move to Luke's gospel. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 23 because we're really gonna be drawing from, from part of this story as well, even though we're just gonna be looking at the specific words that are spoken. The, the, the scene is the crucifixion. And Jesus Christ, after having an opportunity to have his final meal, and yet we're having another week where we're coming together as life groups and as families and sharing this meal, 
But Jesus meets with his disciples and then goes to a garden to pray. He is betrayed by Judas, one of his own. And then he's tried and he is tortured. There's all of this that is actually taking place. He has been completely abandoned, not just by his enemies, but by those who are closest to him. Peter denies him three times on the night he was betrayed. Just think of the difficulty and the complexity of all of this, all of the mistreatment. They dressed up Jesus like a king. Seriously? Yeah, no, I know about the robe and I know about the, that's more like a clown, not a king. They're making fun of him. They're mocking him. Jesus who made them, Jesus who loved them, Jesus who healed them, Jesus who fed them, and this is how they return this? I have seen in a couple of places where Roman soldiers would come together and they would try to make the most of a crucifixion because you don't want to let a good crucifixion go to waste. Somebody's going to walk away from here and someone's not, and we should take their clothes not only do I get a good day's pay, I get a really nice jacket too. And they etched in the stone like a, like a board game. And I've seen two places where these exist, where Roman soldiers would gather for the crucifixion of others and for their added benefit. To them, it's a game. And Jesus is hanging on the cross. And what are his words? Luke chapter 23, verse 34. This is a big one. What does he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Really? Like they don't know? No, I've been reading. They know. Jesus, you even said they know. You said that if they had just read Moses and they followed Moses, they would have known. You actually said that the works that you did made it very clear. You actually said, Jesus, that they knew. What do you mean they didn't know? Does that mean that they're innocent? They didn't know. Why do they need forgiveness if they didn't know? I don't think Jesus is making that kind of statement. I think what Jesus is saying in that final moment is they do not understand exactly what they're doing. Why? And I want you to hear this. I want you to hold on to this this morning. They do not know because they have made a commitment to not know. They've made a commitment towards their disbelief. They've made a commitment towards their doubt. And they have stacked all of their marbles in that camp. They put all of the ante, all of the, all of the chips are in the corner of, he can't be. Why? I'll tell you why. And they had a list of reasons why he couldn't be. And now, this would seal it. Would this not say, if I said to you, I was God, and I just kept saying it over and over and over again. And then you found out like I was killed in a car accident. Would you not go, okay, well then there's, there's no way he's God. Because if there's one thing, of all the things that we know, if there's one thing, God's name literally means I exist. <laughs> like I'm this being that just constantly is. If there's one thing that proves that you're God, is it not the fact that you cannot die? So if you're, if you're attacking him and you're beating him and it looks like you're winning and now he's hanging from a tree, is this not proof positive? If there's one thing that God cannot do, is it not die? 
Father, they, they do not know what they're doing. And the answer is they do and they don't. And they definitely don't know how this all fits into God's plan. The disciples don't even know at this point. And he says, forgive them. Kind of a very interesting statement. I love asking people what the word forgiveness means. Here's how you know that you've got a very important word and, and yet the word is, is not only important but deep and we really don't understand how deep it is. So when I love to ask people what does forgiveness mean, they, they, they use their word in their definition. That's how you know we really don't know all that's going on. What does the word forgiveness mean? You know, like when you forgive someone. Oh, thank you, Mr. Webster. That is good. Forgiving. The act of forgiveness. I like this. We are getting somewhere. What is forgiveness? The word is aphiomy in the Bible, in the original language, aphiomy. It's the word that literally doesn't mean to spiritually get out of our heads. <laughs> um, it means to, to let go, to permit, to allow. That's what it means. When Jesus is playing with children, because you know kids. They're so much fun. And, and kids, and people don't want kids, and Jesus says no, and he says this. A fee me, the little ones to come to me. Forgive them? What do you mean forgive them to come to me? What do you mean forgive them? No, 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 no. Let them, permit them. That's what he's talking about. There's something about kids that are special, and I, I want... I want you to let those kids to come right in close to me. Aphiomy it. Let it happen. Let it be. I can't help but think that what Jesus is saying here at this very powerful moment is not, God, these guys are really bad guys, but you know we're here to love them. So uh, all of this that's happening, just wherever it is on their like ledger of sins, just kind of cross this one out. And you can condemn him for the other stuff, but not for this one thing. It's not what he's saying at all. When the night when Jesus was betrayed, and he's with the disciples, and he's in the garden, but he can still like feel the cup in his hands, he cries out, Father, like, will you take this cup from me? The cup, most likely referring to the Old Testament cup of God's wrath that is being poured out upon the nations for their evil. Will you take this cup from me? Most likely describing the, the separation that the son would feel from the father when he becomes sin. The one who did not know sin. You and I know sin. He did not know sin. He was gonna become sin. God, take this cup from me. But he doesn't end his prayer that way. But God, not my will, but your will be done. If I need to drink it, I'll drink it. Because I'm here to do your will, not mine. And then on the cross. Like, I, hear me, I'm not saying that the idea of forgiveness is not there. I just think it's more like God, they do not know what they are doing. You remember we even we used to sing a song like this. He could have called like, what is it? Like four angels? Not four. What, 10,000? You do realize Jesus could have not only called 10,000, he could have made another 10,000 and had them come with them. 
and he is on the cross and he says, after already praying, God, like, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. God, allow this, permit this, affia me this. Because why? Because he knows that this was God's will and God's plan, that true forgiveness of sins, God letting go of our sins, happens because God allowed this to all take place. It was his plan. Boy, that's something good to remember this Easter, isn't it? This wasn't an accident. That the act of forgiveness that Jesus literally is playing out in front of the crowds is the, the means, is the way in which we find salvation. God, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah, the only one at that moment that knew what was going on was the one on the cross. And they mocked him. He can save others, but he cannot save himself. <laughs> Let's think through what you just said in light of eternity. He said he could save others, and he did not save himself. What we now know is he was able to save others because he did not save himself. He rescued you and me because he chose to not rescue himself. Is Jesus not good? Then Jesus says, because he's not the only one that's being crucified, there's, there's two others with him. A thief. <laughs> People that, des- I mean, you, you might not think they deserve to die, but they deserve something really bad, even their own admission. And while everyone else is angry and mad, you gotta admit, when you're about to die, there's usually one of two ways people go Remember I told you how we just kind of ante in, we double down in the business world. It's called the power of sunk costs. Literally what it means is that there are business people that when they are, when they've thrown money after money after money after money to fix a problem, they only know to just throw more money at it and they just, their only means is by making it worse and worse and worse. And one of those thieves is kind of playing with the power of sunk costs with his own sin. And he starts mocking Jesus too. Maybe he's come to the same conclusion. This, 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 this guy can't help us? I'm gonna join in on the mocking train. And then the other one, something triggers in his mind. and He says, you do realize that like, we deserve to be here and he doesn't. Do you have no sense about you, about what is about to happen, about how short life is, particularly ours? And then he appeals to Jesus. When you enter into your kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus makes this beautiful statement. Today you'll be with me in paradise. I tell you this truth. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And we, we, we hear that, we get all excited. Oh, paradise, it's gonna be so nice. What does the Bible say about paradise? And we kind of equate that with heaven, which I get why we go there, and this isn't a sermon that's about that. But, and then we start wondering, is there gonna be golf in heaven? And then we start wondering about, oh, I can't wait to go to heaven where I can have all my, my fun and I can really kind of hang out and do what I want. It's gonna be like retirement. I, I had the opportunity to be part of a funeral just on Friday, this past week. 
Becky was 97. Her real name is Catherine, but since her son, or sorry, her brother couldn't pronounce that, he just called her Becky. It wasn't even her name, and they went with it. <laughs> Becky died at 97. When she was 93, she wrote a note, just, just kind of describing her life. Um, I think she came to Christ sometime in her 20s. It was just after World War II. She, she says in this letter, like one of her only regrets is that she didn't know Jesus sooner. You know, to waste the first 20 years of your life. Could you imagine how terrible that would be? And then she has a list of the people she cannot wait to see. She, I guess, knew she was gonna live another four years, but she just knew the end was getting close, right? And then she listed them. God, Jesus, the Spirit, Walter, that's her husband, <laughs> Walter got fourth, by the way. Not bad when the Trinity gets the, what, I would say gold, silver, bronze, but it's actually like gold, 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 right? Because they're one with the Father, with, with God and the Father. Okay, yeah, they're one. Walter, her family, and her friends. I don't know if she was trying to make some kind of deep theological statement, but I, I read it that way. What's the most important part of that sentence? Now I've underlined it to help you out. See, we get all crazy about paradise and we read books about heaven and some kid goes there and we watch the movie. Jesus in the New Testament just goes like crazy over this concept of being with Christ and united with Christ and clothed with Christ and blessings in Christ and strength in Christ and encouragement from Christ, like we're with him now, Jesus offers, there, I think the most valuable, the most important part of this text is, and you will be with me. He could have ended it there. Paradise is where Jesus is. Like if you want to golf, golf. By the way, I don't know if there will or will not be and tell you what, after spending a lot of time with Jesus, we may finally do that. But what, what Easter is about is Jesus, with being with him, understanding him, realizing what he has accomplished and what he has done. It's, it's one of those really powerful moments. And maybe that's why it's been good for us to have communion the way that we have had for the last number of weeks. It's not about you. It's about him and what he has done for us. And Jesus promises in Luke's gospel, and, and I'm, I'm kind of believing that even how Paul describes this statement, this is the joy that I have that my wife and I talk about. Um, and after burying her mom recently, the one thing we know, don't know if, I can't even imagine mom golfing. Yeah, Andrew's laughing. Um, She's made, she probably has heard about sports, uh, but she's with Jesus, and nothing else matters after that. The final statement Jesus makes from the cross, according to Luke, he breathes his last. Literally, it's, it's, it's uh, the word that is used for the phrase, to give up the ghost, <laughs> To stop breathing. It, it doesn't mean he stopped breathing. It literally is, it's his last, there was a word for like the last breath. There it is. He, 
he breathed out the last time and he said, and into your hands I commit my spirit. But that's, that's a, those are really interesting words because Jesus has always committed his life to God. He's always surrendered to the will of the Father. That's how, that's how his entire life began in the first place. That Jesus Christ did not consider equality with God when he lived with God in, 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 in proximity to God in that sense. But he emptied that because it was God's plan that he would come down and purchase for God the Father a people. This was God's plan and he commit himself to it. And, and the devil came and the devil tried to convince him of another plan and you couldn't dissuade him from it. And Jesus committed himself to the plan of God. And even the Jews came and they wanted to make him king by force, but Jesus had committed himself to the plan of God. And when the disciples were getting it wrong and when they were leaving him, Jesus committed himself to the will of the Father. He committed himself it's not like this is something that happened at the end. This is really a description of Jesus' life. And then at the very end of his life, he demonstrates a life well lived. And into your hands, I, I now commit the last of it. Why? Because it is finished. And those are the words of Jesus from the cross. A collection of sayings that are found in four different Gospels. And there is such uniqueness to them. It's, it's almost as though, and this is what I personally believe, it's, it's like they knew what the others were writing and they were like, oh yeah, but we got, you got to have this one too. There may have been more. Not a lot more. And then those words become words of like celebration for us. This whole series has really been designed to look at the words, the last words of Christ, and then to help us as a church know how to get ready for Easter, which is next Sunday, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And there's just no way of doing that without dealing with the cross. That what really happens, what you and I are trusting in, is that the entire life of Jesus, which then finds its it's fulfillment on the cross of Jesus Christ that we believe that God accepted that as payment for our sin. All of my brokenness and all of my rebellion against God finds peace in that. In the actions around those final seven statements, that is where I find my peace and I find my hope. That is where I find my joy. And it's, I have to just stop and recognize how crazy it might sound to people when we say something like, yeah, this, this Friday, you know, Good Friday, the day they murdered Jesus, we call that Good Friday. Do you understand how weird that is? I, I get why people might look at Christians and go, what is wrong with you people? It's like we're from another place, or at least our Savior is. But he came to redeem this place. And he came to make a difference in our lives. As I close, and we're going to have some time to reflect and to think around the, the bread and, and the cup, reflecting on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to do so like we have the last few weeks. I, I want us to give some, some 
pointed reflection in terms of how you and I can not only spend the next few moments, but even the next few days preparing for Easter. You've probably heard this statement, lost and found. Um, we, 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 we use that term sometimes when we talk about people. I do believe that they're, in the words of Jesus, there are those who are for me and there are those who are against me. We usually talk about those that are saved and those that are lost. But this morning, I, I want to actually talk about those who are found. Like Saved is a, is a natural consequence of being found. But I just think it's important for those of you that have been found by Jesus, that you are found in relationship with Jesus, that you have found hope and peace in Jesus, that you have found faith to trust in Jesus, that you have found the ability to rise above your doubt and your, your frustration maybe sometimes, that you realize that Jesus and all that he has done has found you. Did you even know you were lost? Did you even know that you needed a savior? Did you somehow like stumble into faith? Because the Bible actually describes Jesus who is in active pursuit of. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus tells stories about a coin that is lost and in describing himself, I just, I gotta find it. A sheep that is lost. I just gotta find it. I'm going to go after it. And this was the ministry of Jesus and the life of Jesus. And when he found himself with really broken people and others were shocked, Jesus would say, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man, a very, very big term for who he is, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, like I came here to find them. And that's you and me. So for those of us that literally the pain of the sin that we have committed in the past week that now haunts us, that now paralyzes us, that now takes us, instead of like running to the throne of God and repenting and finding peace, it has now become a wedge. You've been found in spite of your sin. In spite of what you've done, in spite of what you believe to be a barrier, what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, it is finished. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Today you will be with me. God does not abandon his servant and he doesn't abandon his servant's friends. If you've been found to be able to celebrate I'm in one of those dry seasons right now. I, I really, like, I, I almost have to stop to even realize what's happening. I'm just going through the motions. You, you talk about celebrating. Sure, I, I think I, can, I want to. It's almost like I'm just, spiritually speaking, going through the motions. I remember when I was really, really, really on top of this, but I don't, know, I don't even know where. Nothing bad has even happened to me. It's just... I hear you talk about it, and it just seems like it's always one step or two steps away from me. Jesus died for you. I don't think I can deal with like the forgiveness thing, though. 
And hear me, it's not even like one bad thing that I've done. I, I just, the more that I look at it and the more that like my rebellion stands as like this, this looming shadow over my life, I guess if I, if I had to find words to say, it would go something like this. I don't know if I feel forgiven. Here, here's the goodness. You are by no means saved by your feeling of forgiveness. For those of you that have been found in Christ, that are connected to him by faith, you are not saved by your feeling of salvation or your feeling of forgiveness. Do you know that? You're saved because you have put your hope and your trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We are so strapped by our feelings that there are people right now completely unable to celebrate and to experience joy because I don't know if I'm feeling it. Well, I'll give you something bigger than your feelings. Jesus Christ died for you. Do you believe that? I think I heard three people say yes. That's awesome. <laughs> no, I get it. Sometimes the yes is a hopeful yes. But it's still yes. Not all of us are found. You know what I wish? I wish I could, I wish I could know like some of you I know, some of you I know, and some of you I, I don't know, I, I don't know you. <laughs> like I, I don't know if, if you're lost, and it's one of the dangers of crowds, and it's one of the dangers of a commitment that was made a long time ago that really hasn't been considered for a long time. I really do, I wish somehow, I, I don't think we need like shirts or like badges but I just, I wish there was a way to know. And that's why we want to spend some very intentional time this morning making sure that for those of you that don't know whether or not you're found, you're, you're wrestling with that lost and getting saved. You're wrestling with faith. The video that we filmed for this segment, I hope you saw it, we filmed it at this place that is right at the, um, the base of, of what I believe to be Golgotha. There's two locations that might be the place of the crucifixion. This one, if, when you see it, you're like, wow, that is a mountain. There's the skull. It's, it's really kind of interesting. We often think, on a hill far away stood an old. So they put this cross on top of this hill so that everybody could see. That's not how Romans crucified if you wanna like make people like freaked out, like pay attention, you crucify eye level. So most likely Jesus was not crucified on the top, literally on the top of that is like an, uh, a Muslim cemetery now. And down on the bottom, a parking lot for buses. So we went down there, Steve and I, and we, we're gonna do some filming here. Uri, our guide said, why are you filming down here? Because uh, we think, you know, where do you think he was crucified? Oh, down there. But you know what? The shot would look better. <laughs> I'm not looking for a shot. Well, actually, we were kind of looking for a shot. But what we were looking for was like the reality. 
buses, and then like a fence, and then like a bunch of garbage, and a bunch of like drug addicts on the other side of the fence. Are you sure you want to take it here? You need to see the video. While I'm speaking, a kid walks up. Omar is his name, I had to ask. Hey, what are you guys doing? Uh, we're, we're from America and we're doing a video on Jesus. He was crucified here, probably. Do you know that? No, people come here all the time and I was wondering why. Yeah, there's an empty tomb not too far away, Omar. Yeah, I, I would always just tell them that there was a, like a Muslim cemetery, but I had no idea. What, yeah, no, we, we believe this could be one of the locations where Jesus... Well, are you sure you want to film there, Omar says, because like, that's a really like, dirty place. The degree to which we do not want to admit we are dirty people in need of a saving God. Hey, do you want us to clean that up for you? No, leave it the way it is. Let Jesus clean it up. If you are lost this morning, completely overwhelmed by your sin, still chasing doubt and stubbornness, like you, you've made marital choices, you've made like job type choices that are, you're gonna have to start making some other changes, but man, you, you know what the power of sunk costs is, like you're doubling down against Jesus. I, I know why little kids, Jesus says, have something in them that is just magical. And then over time, I just seem to learn how to become more like committed to myself and more committed to my way and more committed to my path. And one of my biggest concerns is that moments like that look so cute. But real men like me, real grown-ups like me, just sit stubbornly instead of appealing to the one who died for them. And so we pray this morning that would not be the case.